This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen. So um, today is the third part of my session. We're still talking about the purpose of the family. And we're within the topic of daughters, women, wives, and mothers. And my part of that is the qualities of submission. So um, today we're going to do a little review, and then we're going to go into the new information. So I, I was thinking about it. you got to realize I was pretty much just on pause last week. I, I, I could have kept going last week. My time ran out. So I'm sorry if you missed last week or if you wanted me to say something again that you wanted to write down, ask me afterwards because I'm going to give you a little review, we're going to flow right into the new information, okay? You will get a little review, so if you need to shake off the cobwebs and remember what we're teaching about, you got you can probably have about seven minutes to do that, okay? Amen. So, maybe I want to start my time. So, let's go ahead to go over to uh, First uh, Peter, chapter 3. And we're going to start here. This is, um, this is our foundational scripture, what we've been looking at here um, in this session. But before we actually get started, there are some things I want you to remember that we're talking about here in this whole session that we've been talking about. We're talking about the purpose of the family. And the purpose of the family is to produce spiritually and emotionally established believers who in turn get God's redemptive work done in the earth. And these are things that we've been saying for months, so it shouldn't be really new to you. So God's purpose for the family does not conform to this world's standards or its methods. So God's not doing what the, what the world is doing. God came before the world. So it's what he's doing and his standards. So we don't even need to um, try to conform his ways to the world because that's not going to happen. Every member of the uh, family is important. God has standards, commandments, and guidelines for each person. They are different because everybody is different in the family. So no matter what position that you're in in the family, God has standards, commandments, guidelines that you must go by. You're responsible for your part. So wherever you are, you're responsible for your part. You're not responsible for anybody else's. But what you are responsible for is if you don't do your part, what somebody else may miss out on. So if you, once again, I'll go back to the example. If we're having a potluck and you're supposed to bring the plate and the uh, cup, you don't bring the plates in the cup. We got all the food, but we can't eat and we can't drink because you didn't do your part. So who God has made you is for purpose sake. You didn't get to choose who you are. God made you the way that you are, who you are, for his purpose. So the objective of this teaching, this portion of the teaching, is to understand what submission is and the qualities of submission. We want to understand what submission looks like as it pertains to a godly woman. We are not talking about what the world says a woman should be. We are not talking about what your family, what you were taught when you grew up, or what the, what you taught, uh, been taught at work, or whatever. We're talking about God's standard. We're talking about what a godly woman is. And in that, we're going to talk about, we have talked about why submission is necessary. We talked about why I'm required to submit. And we're going to, we started last week talking about what does submission look like and the qualities of submission, and we're going to finish that up today. So let's go ahead and let's read First uh, Peter chapter 3. We're going to look uh, read verses 1 through 6. So verse 1 says, Likewise, 
Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be the outward adorning of the plaiting of hair, of the wearing of gold, or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. So we were looking at that word subjection, and we said subjection is also a synonym for submission or submissive. And we said submissive or subjection means to arrange oneself under authority, to submit yourself. We said that sub- submission also, in this, in this context, what it was originally, what submission meant or what it uh, pertained to was a military term that was related to obedience based on the chain of command. So in the military, there's submission so that the goal can be accomplished. So when you think about submission, it's talking about an order. It's talking about submission for order's sake, so that a goal can be accomplished. Submit means to obey, to bring under control, to place, to rank under. As believers, we believe that God is the ultimate authority, because he is the ultimate authority. Now, people who don't believe may not believe that. They don't believe that. But to us as believers, God should be our ultimate authority. So for every believer, God should be the authority in their life. So in a family, no one's doing their own thing because God's their ultimate authority. So everyone has a specific purpose. In submission, the thing we want to remember is that we're yielded to God's delegated authority. We're not self-willed. So... The woman who's become a wife brings her will, her plans, and her attitudes under the control of her husband in order to accomplish God's will. She and her husband have a shared goal, which is the goal that God gave them. It's not something that the husband makes up. It's what God has set for. So she and her husband have a shared goal, and she submits so that that goal can be accomplished. Submission has nothing to do with worth or importance. It has to do with accomplishing the mission. So remember this, this this piece, we're going to talk about this a little bit in, uh, later on in the lesson today. In true submission, the power is exerted by the person submitting, not the person being submitted to. So the husband does not make the wife submit. The wife uses her power to submit. So that's what I mean. The power is exerted by the person submitting. So in order to submit, we have to renew our mind, and we have to continue to renew our mind. Submission, in and of ourselves, we don't want to submit because we want to do what we want to do. So we have to renew our mind to God's way of thinking. So we have to get, get in position so we can renew our mind. And we have to consistently and constantly renew our mind because we know that there are internal things in us that are pushing against submission. And then there are external factors that are wanting us to push against submission. So we constantly have to guard our heart and guard our mind so that we can submit. And we said that submission is not a sign of weakness, but it's an act of obedience. So Jesus is our example of submission. 
And we looked at that over in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. We aren't going to go there. But he was obedient. He submitted. He submitted to get his work done on the earth that the Father said needed to be done. So we see submission to authority. He was our example. He submitted to his earthly parents while he was here. He submitted to the earthly authorities here as he was a man. So we see he's our example. So if Jesus can submit and he's God, what's the problem with us? When we submit, it shouldn't just be something we say we do. Submission should be seen in our character. We submit because of our relationship to Christ. So as the wife submits to her husband, she uh, submits to her husband because of her relationship to Christ. It's not because of what the husband has done or what she thinks is, is best. It's because she is obeying Christ. And we know that submission is a choice. And that we can choose to submit or we can choose not to submit. The reason you choose to submit, you don't submit mindlessly. You have to have some understanding because what's happening is you are understanding that God's purpose is bigger than what you want to do. So you take your will, your mind, your your ways, and you submit. You put them under. In the case of a husband and wife, the wife realizes what God's plan for my husband, my relationship with my husband, this marriage relationship, God wants the world to see something. In order for the world to see something, I've got to submit so that goal can be accomplished. God wants my children to see something. He wants to minister through this relationship of husband and wife. He wants, he wants that to show forth his glory, and I can't do that doing my own thing, so I submit. So in order to do that, well, all that said, we have to get over our preconceived ideas of submission. We have to get over what the world has told us submission is. And we have to go on and do what God has told us to do. We can't think of ourselves in terms of inferior or superior. So the man's not better than the woman. The woman's not better than the man. It's none of that. There's no comparison because the man and the woman are different. When we do that, that's when we get into trouble. That's when we start comparing different things. And when you compare different things, you're never going to get a good end. You can't do that. And you're never going to make a man a woman and a woman a man. I don't care what society's doing. Let me tell you, it just ain't going to happen, okay? It's just going to be weird. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You see it all the time. It's just weird. So you can't do that. You, can't, you cannot do that because that's not what it is. God set this up for purpose sake. Be who God made you. Be who God called you to be because there's purpose in that. So last week we looked at um, 1 Peter 3 and 5 and we looked at the word, word adorn. So as women, and notice I just didn't say wives, as women, as daughters, as uh, women, as wives, as mothers, females, we have to adorn ourselves with submission. Adorn means to dress, to decorate, to put in order. It's the opposite of chaos. So as women, we must be dressed or put in order according to God's purpose, not what the world is doing, not what we want to do. We put on submission. We put on his purpose. And we looked at Sarah last week. We looked at Sarai, and then we saw Sarah. We saw some changes in there. And we saw that she respected her husband. She had respect for the position that God had placed or delegated to her husband. So we looked at her even in her thoughts. When nobody else was, was looking, you know, whenever nobody else was, she wasn't showing it to anyone else. It was just in her heart. That's the mission. We looked at that over in Genesis 8, uh, excuse me, 18, 9 through 12. 
And we saw she called her husband Lord. She actually didn't even say it. She was thinking about it. And that's how she referred to him. So we said the word Lord uh, meant husband, formerly master. And it's one who's the male partner of a marriage with a focus on the position of authority in the relationship. So that's what her uh, Sarah thought about her husband. So imagine how she acted towards him if that's what she thought. So... When Sarah was referring to Abraham as Lord, it was some stuff that had gone on. Abraham had made some mistakes. But she didn't let that change her submission to him. And the thing about it is, when we looked at those mistakes, and we looked over in Genesis chapter 12, it wasn't like something she could just easily forget. Because the stuff that could remind her, she saw every day. It was, she was constantly reminded of that. But she didn't let that change her submission. So that's what I'm saying. Submission is a choice. There are going to be things that come up that will try to get you out of submission. And maybe you can say, well, hey, I could because that was a bad thing that happened. But that's not what we do. We choose to submit because we choose to obey God. So we're going to go into, um, kind of flow into where we stopped off last week. Let's go over to Proverbs chapter 11. So Proverbs chapter 11 so last week we started, I gave you a little tease, we're going to talk about discretion. And remember, we're talking about what submission looks like, or the qualities of submission. So, when you think of something, when you think of submission, and you think of the word qualities, qualities it means that what, that what that looks like. If somebody said, uh, what are the qualities of that chair? You would start telling the color, it has four legs, all those things. So when you talk about submission or the quality of submission, there are things that you can use to describe submission. So one of the things we kind of came in with last week was discretion. So discretion is a quality of submission. So let's go over to Proverbs chapter 11, and we're going to look at verse 22. And this is this scripture is just like when you read it, you're like, okay, that's weird. It's funny. It's very funny. So as a jewel, verse 22 here, as a jewel of gold, and a swine snout. So think about that. Think about an earring, a gold earring, a real gold earring, not a plated gold, real. As a jewel of gold and a swine snout. So that's a pig and a pig's nose. So think of a beautiful gold earring and a pig's nose. Think of that. Everybody got a, 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 a visual of that in your mind? Okay. Now we'll read the rest of it. So is a fair woman which is without discretion. So, that's a waste. And it just, you know, you think about it, you're like, why would anybody, first of all, I'm not getting close enough to a pig to put an earring in his nose. And then when you think about it, that is just like, that. that's a waste. That's a waste. It's wasteful. So when a woman, as a woman, when I can't be discreet, I'm wasting who God has created me to be. If, if I'm outside of purpose, I'm not using what God has given me. There, there are things in a woman that God has given us, and they're to be used for a certain purpose. But when I'm not discreet, when I don't have discretion, I'm wasting it. I'm using it for something else. Because that same, when you think about that pig's night, snout, that same goal could be used somewhere else, and it would be beautiful. It would be purposeful. It would bring glory. But when you put it in something where it doesn't belong, it's wasteful. You look at it, you're like, that's just the craziest thing I've ever seen. But a woman without discretion, a beautiful woman or a fair woman, any woman without discretion, it's just like an earring in a pig's nose. So what does the word discretion mean? It means discernment, good judgment, 
as a facet or component of wisdom and capacity for understanding, good choices, and good behavior. So I'm going to read this again. Discretion means discernment. Good judgment as a facet or component of wisdom and capacity for understanding good choices and good behavior. The quality, discretion is also the quality of behaving or speaking in such a manner to avoid causing offense or to reveal too much information. It's the quality of behaving or speaking in such a way as to avoid causing offense or to reveal too much information. A person of discretion doesn't want to offend but seeks to bring peace. Submission and discretion, they have to be part of our character. So they have to be instilled in us. They have to be a part of us. Because when things get tough or when there's pressure, you're going to respond to what's inside of you. And there's going to be times when you need to respond with discretion. Because you're going to have to have some good judgment. You're going to have to have good behavior. You're going to have to seek peace. Go over to 1 Samuel, chapter 25. And we're going to look at an example of someone who had discretion. So what I want you to do is um, think about the, the um, definition of discernment that I just gave you. And as we read this, we're going to go over this, and we're going to talk about Abigail. And we're going to talk about how she showed us discretion. So she is the example of discretion. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to, um, we're going to start reading. Uh, we're just going to read. We're going to read a lot of verses here, so bear with me. Because you really need to see um, everything she does. There's a lot of stuff that Abigail does. We won't talk about everything. We're just going to bring out some highlights here. So first of all, let's read verses 2 through 4 so we can get a setting here. So First uh, Samuel, verse 25, excuse me, chapter 25, verses 2 through 4. And there was a man in Maon whose possessions were in Carmel. And the man was very great, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. So here's this man. He's very rich. He's shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of this man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. So Nabal and Abigail, husband and wife. So Abigail, here we go, and she was a woman of good understanding and a beautiful countenance. So she was like, yeah, she had good understanding, she was pretty, she looked good. But the man, her husband Nabal, was churlish and evil in his doings. And he was the house of Caleb. Uh, uh, he was of the house of Caleb. So here we have the setting here. We have Abigail, who's a woman of good understanding and a beautiful countenance. But we have her husband, who's rich, but he's foolish. He's churlish. He, he has bad behavior. So let's get down to verse 14. And we're going to pick up there because what happens is there's an encounter between David and Nabal. Now this is David, King David, the one that slew Goliath. So he's a warrior. Remember that. So we're going to go into verse 14 here. So here is, um, we're picking up in the middle of the story and here's what happened. Abigail is here and one of the servants comes to Abigail and this is where the story starts. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness 
to salute our master, and he railed on them. So remember, what's happening is uh, Nabal is in Carmel shearing his sheep. So that's, a, that's what's going on. So while he's shearing his sheep, while this process is going on, David comes in and he had, uh, requests something for Nabal. Nabal says, I ain't doing that. He just goes off on him and said, no. But now here's all this stuff is happening. So here's the servant coming in and he's talking to Abigail. So this is, remember, Abigail is Nabal's wife. So the servant says, um, but the men, so David's men were very good unto us. And we were not hurt, neither missed we anything as long as we were conversant with them when we were in the field. So basically he's saying that they protected us. Everything was fine. They were a wall unto us both by night and day, all the while while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what thou wilt do. For evil is determined against our master and against all the house, all his household. For he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. So here's what happened. So Nabal rails on David, and David says, I'm not even having this. We helped you, and now I'm asking you for something, and you want to act a fool with me? We're about to come in here, we're going to kill everybody. So one of the servants hears this, and he's like, oh, everybody includes me. You know, it's like this is a bad thing that's about to happen. So what he does is he goes to Abigail. He doesn't go to Nabal because he said, I can't, nobody can even talk to him. Can't even explain because he's not reasonable. So what he does is he goes to Abigail. So one of the things that I thought about this was imagine if Abigail, what, what that tells me is Abigail was reasonable. Because if she was unreasonable, the servant probably just would have ran away because we all about to die. Because David, we know David and he don't play. So think about it now. So now we get a, a picture into Abigail's character before we see her do anything. She's just listening to what this man has said. So verse 18. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two bottles of wine and five sheep ready dressed and five measures of parched corn and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on asses. So she gets up and gets going. And she said unto her servants, Go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she told not her husband Nabal. And it was so, as she rode on the ass, that she came down by the covert of the hill. And behold, David and his men came down against her, and she met them. And David said, Surely in vain I have kept all this, all that this fellow hath in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that pertained unto uh, unto him. And he hath requi- requited me with evil. So David's explaining, you know, I did all this stuff for Nabal and he just, you know, just forget it. So verse 22 says, So and more also also do God unto the enemies of David, David, if I leave of all that pertain to him by the morning light, any that pisses against the wall. And when Abigail saw David, she hastened and lighted off her ass and fell before David on her face, and bowed herself to the ground, and fell at his feet, and said, Upon me, my Lord, upon me, let this iniquity be. And let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak in thine audience, and hear the words of thine handmaid. Let not, my Lord, I pray thee, regard this son of Belial, even Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But... I, thine handmaiden, made, saw not the young men of my Lord. 
whom thou didst send. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, seeing the Lord hath withholden thee from coming to shed blood, and from avenging thyself with thine own hand, now let thine enemies and they that seek evil to my Lord, uh, to my Lord, be as Naboth. And now this blessing which thine handmaid hath brought unto the Lord, let it even be unto the young men that follow my Lord. I pray thee, forgive the trespass of thine handmaid, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord fighteth the battles of the Lord. Even an evil hath not been found in thee all thy days. Yet a man is risen to pursue thee, and to seek thy soul, but the Lord, but the soul of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of life with the Lord thy God. And the souls of thine enemy, enemies, them shall he sling out, as out of the middle of a sling. And it shall come to pass, when the Lord shall have done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning thee, and shall have appointed thee ruler over Israel, that this shall be no grief unto thee, nor offense of heart unto my Lord. Either thou hast, hast shed blood careless, causeless, or that my Lord hath avenged himself. But when the Lord shall have dealt well with my Lord, then remember thine handmaid. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me. And blessed be thy advice, and blessed be thou, which hast kept me this day from coming to shed blood, and from avenging myself with mine own hand. For in very, in very deed, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, which hath kept me back from hurting thee, except thou hast hasted, hastened and come to meet me, surely there had not been left unto Nabal by the morning light any that pisseth against the wall. So David received of her hand that which she had brought him, and said unto her, Go up in peace to thine house. See, I have hearkened to thy voice, and have accepted thy person. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he held a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within, for he was very drunk. Wherefore she told him nothing, less or more until the morning light. But it came to pass in the morning, when the wine was gone out of Nabal, and his wife told him these things, that his heart died within him. And he was become a stone. So, here we have Abigail. And we set up the scenario. So, here is David is on his way. Let me tell you. David had, I believe he, I read it about 300 men. He was coming to get Nabal. And he said, let me tell you. My thing, I'm setting out to destruction. I'm not leaving any of it left. So, Abigail, person of discretion. She's a, a woman who submitted. So let me tell you the thing about this. If you notice, Abigail acted quickly. What I want everyone in this room to realize is where you are now is not where you're supposed to be later. There are things, there are decisions that you have to make that get you in position. Reading this, what I'm seeing is that Abigail, this, is, this was her character. This is what she did. She acted with discretion. So when... The servant came to her. Notice she didn't get all emotional. She didn't start crying. That's such a stupid husband. Why did I marry him? Or why did my parents... She didn't do all that. She said, okay, 
we need to do something. You know what? What, what I'm saying, what I see in Abigail is she saw purpose. So what she did was she said, you know, I think about it. And in, in the scripture that we read in First Peter, it talks about that meek and quiet spirit. Abigail had to have a meek and quiet spirit because she could hear God telling her what to do. Because so you think about it. Somebody tells you that here's this warrior with 300 of his men coming to destroy your family. The first thing you, I'm going to tell you what I'm saying. I'm about to run or hide. So think about that. She's a person just like you are. There's emotion that came in, but guess what? That meek and quiet spirit could hear God. And therefore, she could give instructions to her servants. She could do everything that needed to be done. And what she did was she did with purpose. She wasn't. She understood her husband had made a wrong decision. It is what it is. She didn't sit there and fuss about what he was doing and waste time. She did exactly what she needed to do. So when she went, she she even I, I like she's like she got this, she got that, and then she told the service, "Y'all go on, y'all go on, get get down there, and I'm coming right behind you." And you know what? Didn't say that the service waited. They trusted her. They trusted her judgment. So as she's going in, she comes in. And she comes in and she's using discretion. Remember, she's seeking peace. She's not, to look, uh, not looking to offend. She uses good judgment. She's making good decisions. So when she comes to David, remember, she's a beautiful woman. Remember that. Now, when you meet a person, what's the thing, first thing you notice is how they look. And as women, we can do this. We can, take, we can take our look and the way we look and try to put that before what God has called us to do. But listen, if you notice this, Abigail wasn't even thinking about that. She went to David, and the first thing she did was she asked David to forgive her. If you notice, she didn't do anything in this situation. Now, what a lot of us would do was like, well, let me tell you, David, my husband is stupid. I brought this food. Please don't kill her. But, but, but think about it, you know, because that, that you're probably mad, you're frustrated. That's what's going to come out. You're like, I can't believe he would do this. But what Abigail said was like, no. She said, here it is. I'm sorry. Please forgive me for doing this. I didn't see these men. Had I seen them, you would have already had this stuff. And the one thing I noticed here is that she did She did say something about her husband. She said, you know, basically my husband acted foolishly. This is kind of who he is. And I was thinking, I was like, well, you know, God, why is that in there? Because remember, she's using discretion. She's using good judgment. Let me, I'm, she, I think I wrote it down. I want to say she, she thought about the best way to approach the people in the situation. So David is mad. David's about to go kill some people. You don't kill people when you're happy. So David is mad. So if you come up to David and say, well, you know, Nabal, he's cool. He's good. That's going to make David even mad. He's going to be like, what? Are you crazy? I'm about to kill you too. But no, she, she uses good discretion. She doesn't disrespect her husband. She just says, this is a situation. My husband, okay, I'm gonna, I, we'll admit that. But she didn't harp on it. She went right back to, but forgive me. This is what has happened. So, neighbor, so all this stuff, what Abigail did when she approached David, like I said, she didn't come in, please save my family. She approached David with purpose, with God's purpose. She reminded David who he is, who God had called him to be, where he was going to be. She reminded him that there are things you don't want to have people saying that you went and killed Nabal's family without a cause. You don't want this blood on your hand when you're ascended to being the king of Israel. And you know what? And David was like, you know what? I, I, I got a little mad and I forgot about all that. So Abigail, and if you notice, she talks about slinging. I was thinking about that and I was reading it. And you know what? Abigail showed David, look, I've heard about you. I know where you're supposed to be. I believe it. 
And you reminded David of what God had called him to do. He said, you know what, this woman understands some things. And she even said, I'll take your advice. I'll take your advice. Because she used discretion. She was a woman of good understanding. So Abigail, she acted quickly and wisely to save her family. She thought about the best way to approach the people involved in the situation. And she had an attitude of humility and submission. She didn't go in there trying to say, well, I'm all this and you all that, David, and here it is. No, she went in, if you notice, she got off her horse. She bowed down. She was humble. She wasn't going in there trying to be the smartest person, the prettiest person. She just went in with God's purpose. She didn't try to manipulate him. She didn't start crying. She wasn't overly emotional. I just don't want you to kill my family, David. She just went in and she just told him what needed to be said. She listened to God. Remember that meek and quiet spirit. So after all that happens, David listens to her. Her family's safe. She goes back, and her husband's having a party. And he's drunk. And she's like, I was thinking about you know she had to be like, I know he is not in here. I'm out here working hard and save my family. And he ain't having a party and drunk. Now think about that. That's what was going on when she got back. She had just done this. And you know what she did? She didn't go in there and say, you are the biggest crazy person. No, she said, forget it. I'm going to go and do what i got to do. She used discretion when talking to him. She talked to him when everything had calmed down. She didn't roll in and say, this is what happened and we're safe, but let me tell you what happened. No, she waited till the time was right. So what we have to remember, as women of God, we have to have discretion. We can't go in just doing anything any kind of way. It may seem like a good idea, but it has to be God's idea. We have to have that meek and quiet spirit. We have to have wisdom. We have to have good understanding. You, you can't have good understanding when you are always right. When you are always, um, when you don't think that you can be corrected. Or when you don't think that you're not giving God room to move. Women, as women, we have to always practice discretion. It can't be I'm going to have discretion today and tomorrow I'm not going to have discretion. Remember, that's that good understanding. We're seeking peace. We're not seeking to offend. We're seeking God's purpose. That's what we're looking for. We cannot think that it's just going to happen. So what the, the situation with Abigail, that was a big deal. But Abigail had to have a pattern of that behavior to be able to handle that. So what may be going on with you is there this may be a situation where you need to tell your husband something and it's important and you pick the best time to do it. That's discretion. Now, that one decision puts you in position to make another decision of discretion. Those are the things. Don't think you're just going to jump up and be put in the situation that Abigail was put into. You're going to have to work up to those things. We are, we are work in progress. God is building on us. He's preparing us. So what we have to realize as we raise our children, as we see our daughters, and we see, and not just daughters in our family, but daughters here in the ministry, women that we love, if we're not discreet and we're not immodest, and we're immodest, it's going to just uh, mature as you get older. And we kind of talked about this last week. So if you've got a daughter who's not discreet, who lacks humility and decency, guess what? When she gets older, she cannot be a virtuous woman. Those things have to be taught. A woman who's outside of purpose can't control herself and is unpleasant to be around. Go over to Proverbs chapter um, 21. And we're going to see this. So remember, when you, you're given 
qualities, these qualities of discretion, these are things that you're supposed to use to get God's purpose done. So if you're not doing that, then you're doing something else. It's not like I don't have discretion, so it's just a hole. Something fills that hole. So let's see what it is. First, uh, Proverbs chapter 21, we're going to read verse 9. It is better to dwell in a corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman in a white house. So I thought about this, and I just thought about it exactly. I just going to give you the picture before I started even studying the scripture out. What, it, what I thought, I thought of a roof. Think of a roof and the corner. You know, that little corner on the side? Better to be up there in the rain and the snow and the sleet than with a brawling woman in a white house. And I thought of a big old house. I'd rather be on the corner dealing with these elements and everything else than in a big old house with a brawling woman. So let's look at verse 19 as well. It is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. And now they're like, hey, look, I don't even need to be with people. I will get out in the wilderness where it's just me and the bears and the snakes than with a brawling and contentious woman. Over in Proverbs 27 and 15, we won't go there, but it talks about that woman. She's like a continual drip. It's just like just irritating. You know, you just can't get rid of it. You just keep hearing it. Like you want to gouge your ears out. You're like, oh, but that's a contentious and a brawling woman. So what does the word brawling mean? It means contentious, quick to pick a fight or disagree. So contentious, what does that mean? It means strife, quarreling, scolding, dissension. So with that, so if contentious, one of the words is dissension, then what does dissension mean? It means disagreement that leads to discord. And discord is lack of unity different hearts. So, go back to what we're talking about. Submission is for purpose sake. If you are brawling in a contentious woman, you are quick to pick a fight. You're quick to disagree. You may not pick a fight um, out loud, but in your mind, you already disagreed with it. You're, you, uh, you're contentious, so that means strife, quarreling, and dissension. And dissension leads to discord. And this court is a lack of unity. So remember, submission is for purpose sake. We're all coming together for a mission. So if you're a contentious and a brawling woman, you're not striving for unity and for purpose. You're striving for something else. It's your own thing that you're trying to do. You want to be right. You want it your way. So that's why it's better to be in the wilderness with a contentious woman because guess what? No matter what you say, no matter what you do, it's always going to be a fight. It's always going to be some quarreling. And like I said, it doesn't necessarily have to be in your mouth. You may never say anything, but your attitude shows it. Your thoughts show it. The things that you're supposed to be doing to be purposeful in the family, you're not doing them. You're not carrying out what you're supposed to do because you are contentious. You are leading to a lack of unity. A woman who lacks discretion puts her husband and her father to shame because they're not purpose-driven. They're off doing their own thing. They have their own version of what's going on. So they're not definitely not submitted to God. And if you're not submitted to God, you're not going to be submitted to your husband. You're not going to be submitted to your father. You're not going to be submitted to any authority. So a contentious woman, remember, she is um, she lacks unity. She doesn't want unity. She's going for strife and division. So she is not submitted. Let's go over to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 
in First Timothy chapter five, this particular scripture is actually that I'm going to read is actually talking about or referring to um, widows of a certain age. But it's going to is something that we can use to describe what we're talking about here. So we're talking about this contentious woman who's not submitted. Instead of having discretion and submission, she's filled her heart and her mind and her attitude with contention, with strife, with um, discord. So um, verse 13, we're going to read First Timothy verse 13. And withal, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers, also, and busybodies speaking things which they ought not. So here's the thing. A woman that doesn't have discretion will be idle. So what is idle? Idle means refusing to work as a lifestyle. It's careless in consideration and effective not accomplishing anything. So idle, once again, is refusing to work as a lifestyle. It's careless in consideration, ineffective, not accomplishing anything. So think about what we talked about submission. Submission is for purpose, to accomplish accomplish something. So a woman who's idle, she can't be submitted. She's not submission. She's not walking in submission because she's not trying to accomplish anything. Notice that it said it's refused to work as a lifestyle. So it's not that she was tired. She just does it all the time. That's just who she is. She's not, she's refusing to work. And notice, and it doesn't say that she doesn't have the power to work. She just refuses to do it. She's ineffective in accomplishing anything. Go over to Proverbs chapter 14. So this idle woman... She'll learn from the wrong examples. If you notice in that scripture, it says she's learning. So there will be examples there who could teach her submission, but she's idle. So she doesn't want to do that. So she looks at the people who aren't doing what they're supposed to do. So Proverbs chapter 14, we're going to look at verse 1. Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. An idle, foolish woman doesn't take care of her business. She says she's ineffective in accomplishing anything. She has no regard for her God-given purpose. So she wastes her time and her energy on things that are not fruitful and tears down on her family. An idle woman is ineffective, so her family goes lacking. Now, they may have certain things, but they're lacking what God says they need. So remember, we're not talking about the world standard. We're talking about God's standard. Now, a wise woman is submitted and purpose-minded. She realizes that she doesn't have unlimited time and energy, so she focuses on accomplishing the will of God. She does not neglect what she's supposed to accomplish for frivolous and selfish endeavors. And I like what we've been reading about when in 1 Peter when it talks about you're not supposed to, they're not going to be won, your husband's not going to be won by the way you look. doesn't matter. You You can look good. You should look nice. But that's not the most important thing. And a wise woman knows that. They know how a wise woman knows how to make sure those things are taken care of, but that which is important, the purpose of God is always going to be first and always going to be taken care of. Those other things will come as they need to. Let's go over to first Peter chapter excuse me, first Timothy chapter two. Verse 
this is probably the last scripture we're going to get to read, but it's okay. First Peter chapter two, and this, remember, these are the qualities of submission. This is what submission looks like. First Peter chapter two, verses nine and ten. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness, shamefacedness with sobriety, not with bordered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women of uh, professing godliness with good works. So what should we adorn ourselves with? What should we order our lives with? Good works, which God has ordained. So what does that word shamefaced mean? Shamefacedness. It means modesty. Modesty, that word means freedom from conceit or vanity, propriety in dress, speech, or conduct. So in our case, let me, I'm going to read it again. I'm going to change one of those words. So as women of God, modesty is freedom from conceit or vanity, propriety in dress, speech, and conduct. So what is conceit? Conceit is being excessively proud of oneself. And vain is having or showing an excessively high opinion of one's appearance, ability, or worth. So sometimes when we think about vain, we only think of appearance. But it's just having a self-inflated view of yourself. That's what vanity is. Same thing with conceit. As women of God, we're modest. We're those who are free from those things. The thing about that, if you look, we're not going to read it, but if you refer to verse 3 in 1 Peter 3, how you dress is a window into your heart. So what is in your heart is going to be displayed in your actions. And that's including, but not limited to, the way you dress. Submission will show in the way you dress. As a woman, I'm never going to embarrass my father, who is God. I'm never going to embarrass my earthly father. I'm never, if I was married, I would not embarrass my husband by my dress and by my actions. So I'm going to be modest in my apparel. I'm going to be modest in the way I speak. I'm not going to have such an inflated uh, view of myself that I think everybody wants to hear what I have to say. I'm not going to um, monopolize the conversation. I'm going to learn how to speak and how to be a woman of discretion wherever I am. And as far as modesty in our clothes and the way we should dress, and it's very important for us to say this nowadays, God created us as women. Those of us who are women, we know that we are women. We're not men, so we don't have to go around dressing like men to say we're men or compete with men. We are women. We can dress like women. That doesn't mean you always have to wear skirts, but you know what I mean. There are some things that are just cut for a man. Don't put that on if you're a woman. Also, God has fearfully and wonderfully made us in his purpose. So his Holy Spirit empowers us to accomplish his will. So my value, our value, and our worth is not determined what other people think of us. So guess what? I don't have to go around dressing like a harlot because the only thing I have to think I have to offer is the way I look. No, I'm a child of God. His spirit lives on the inside of me. He is the one who tells you tell me what my value is. So I don't have to go around waiting for the world to tell me I'm beautiful and showing all my stuff. Or in that, on the opposite end is I don't feel like I'm beautiful so I don't take any care of my appearance. No. God says I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm his daughter. So I can put some time into my appearance but cover myself up properly. Discretion has to be taught to our daughters. It has to be taught from an early age. 
And some of us, maybe we're coming into this and we're older. We're not considered, we wouldn't think of ourselves as the age of daughters. But discretion has to be taught. Fathers, what you think of your daughter, the value that you think of women, is going to show in how you treat your daughter. And she's going to think, you may never think. But in your mind, if you think that women are objects, sexual beings, that's all you think about women, or you have a lower um, opinion of a woman, she's less than a man, you may never say that to your daughter. You may love on your daughter. You may hug her like she's a little doll. But guess what? She's going to figure that out in the way you treat her. And guess what? She is going to try to gain your approval some kind of way. It may be in the way she dressed, the way she's always up in your face. And then when she gets away from you, or even when you're there, she's going to do the same thing to other people. I would say other men, but nowadays they'll do it to women because everybody's confused. They're always up in somebody's face. They're looking for value. They're looking for validation. Fathers, you have to think about the way you treat your, your daughters. You have to raise your daughters. You can't go through and prostitute. We're not going to go to this because I'm out of time. Leviticus 19 and 29 says don't prostitute your daughters. You may not actually sell, go out and sell your daughters, but what you're doing is you're putting them in a position to be objectified by people and to be looked at as a commodity or a good or a product instead of what God called them to be. When you have that attitude, guess what? They're going to pick up on it, and that's the way they're going to feel about themselves. So this is the last thing I'm going to say here. As parents, as fathers, if you know the value of your daughters, why are you letting them go around being devalued? So we have to make sure that we teach our daughters these things. As women who know these things, we have to make sure we pass it on to the next generation because God has a purpose for all of us to uh, fulfill, and we can't do it if we don't know who we are in Him. Amen? Amen. I'm out of time. God is faithful. You all can be dismissed. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.